Jesus, I thank you uh, for this morning that it is good because you've declared it so. Um, I thank you for this time and in this space that we get to hear your word proclaimed. Um, God, and I just ask that um, in this time and space right now that you would increase and that I would decrease. Uh, Father, that, um, that even though um, I'm the one speaking, Father, I, I would just pray that your word would, would just fall heavy in this place. God, if there, if there is um, something that someone needs to hear, God, that they would hear it from you. Father, so I pray now that you would speak. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, I love that psalm because it forces us to remember that we are God's people and that God has never failed his people. It includes you and me. And it's, it's really hard because we don't always see the fact that God, God's hand delivers. Um, we don't always see it now. We don't always see it in the past. Sometimes it's, it's foggy and unclear, but the scriptures proclaim, just like Mark Epperson said last week, um, man, when we read scripture, do we trust in it? Do we trust that this is God's word and it's meant for us? Do we trust that his promises are yes and amen? Do we trust that what's written in here is actually meaningful for our lives? And that's why I love that psalm, because I don't always see it. <laughs> I don't always see that God's hand is, is protecting me and guiding me, but I know that it's true somehow. Uh, this week, um, Bryce asked me to speak a few weeks ago, and whenever I say yes to, to preaching, it, I know that the week is just going to be horrible. And uh, it, it's almost always happened. Someone's been in the hospital, someone's been sick, and... Uh, it, it happened to me. I already knew this, but I was in a, um, a four-day sleep study. It was horrible. Um, it was to figure out some of the medication for uh, my epilepsy that's been going on. And so um, I had to do this. I knew I had to do it. But from Monday to Thursday, I was connected to like an EEG, um, and it was on a nine-foot cable, and I was in just a room, and it was terrible. I knew it was going to be terrible. Um, and then... I got back, so I went in Monday morning, I got out Thursday, and uh, we had this wing-a-thon, that was awesome, we raised a lot of money to send kids to actually go to Young Life Camp and hear the gospel for the first time, uh, so that was great, except I ate 51 wings, um, and I wanted to throw up afterwards, um, and then Friday, it rained all Thursday, Friday we woke up and our basement had flooded, and that was horrible, and then Saturday, Barrett got sick, we went... Um, last night to get him tested, and he had COVID. Yeah, me. <laughs> and that is his second time having COVID in under five weeks. Um, kind of insane. And I knew this week was going to be crazy, but I didn't know it was going to be that crazy. Um, and it was, just, it was just wild. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside a ton of time to do this. Um, and I ended up switching my mind on, on what I would preach about um, Saturday morning, and I know it's going to be good, but we'll see what happens. So <laughs> uh, just bear with me. I set a timer so I don't go 50 minutes long. But I want to share a story with you that happened to me during my sleep study. Uh, so this was uh, Tuesday. I'd already been in for, I was, this was about 30 hours in, and I was already going crazy. I texted Bree at like 3 p.m. I got there at 8 a.m., and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I'm going to escape or something. But I had like 30 uh, probes glued to my head with super glue. So I'm like, if I, if I run to the gas station just to get out, like, people are going to think I'm crazy. Uh, so I chose to stay in the room. 
But Tuesday, right, like my back is hurting because I've been sitting all day. They had a recliner and a bed. Um, and I'm literally like, if you know me, I'm just like ADD jitterish, like I have to be doing things. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to try and do some stretching. My back hurts. My hamstrings hurt. Um, and so I unplugged from the machine. You have to do that every time you want to go to the restroom or get food. And I'm like, I just need to stretch, do some yoga, do some push-ups for like 10 minutes. And so about five minutes into me stretching, I'm like on the ground, right? Um, and they have, there's a camera in the room because most people that go here, um, they're trying to figure out like ep epilepsy episodes. Um, so they deal a lot with like older people or younger people who have fallen on the ground and might be having actual seizures. So I am, you know, stretching, trying to stretch out my back and all they can see on the camera is this dude laying on the ground. And so I'm in a calm, peaceful state, praying, it's wonderful, and all of a sudden I hear footsteps running down the hallway. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then there's banging on my door, Brian, Brian, are you okay? And I was like, yeah? And they bust in through the door. <laughs> and they're like, are, are you having a seizure? I was like, no, why? And they're like, you're, you're laying on the ground. I'm like, no, I'm just stretching. They're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> um, they're like, we thought you were having a seizure. And I, I started, kind of started to laugh, and I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just stretching. They're like, we've never seen someone do that before. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm the first. Um, but it, <laughs> it was just this weird moment. Um, and then, uh, so I got up and I'm like, I probably shouldn't do that again because I don't want to give these nurses a heart attack. Um, and then I went about just being frustrated. All of Tuesday, it was frustrating. I, like, I binge watched way too much Netflix. Like, I was bored of watching TV. I was bored of everything. I could look out the window, but I couldn't get out the window. Um, it was just this time of like frustration, right? This, this time in which I was just longing to be somewhere that I physically couldn't be. Um, and I was just kind of caught, caught in this crossroads. Um, I was frustrated. I was, I was tired. I was exhausted. I didn't want to be there. Um, and so I go to sleep Tuesday night and I wake up Wednesday morning. Um, and there's like, I'm, I'm all the way at the end of the hallway and there's like no one around me. And I wake up in the morning um, and I see someone had come in last night to do like an overnight sleep study. Um, and I saw written on their door and it looked like it was Lori. It was like written in cursive. So I'll go and use the restroom. I come back and I did a double take because I saw the person who's in the room. It was, his name was actually Toby. I just can't read cursive. Um, and so Toby is actually, he's one of my young life leaders who's in Barber County. All right. And so we, we did like this, what? Like, <laughs> there's no way that two people who know each other are going to be in this little tiny room. Um, I mean, there's like 12 people that can fit in this building for the sleep study. We're like, we, at the same time, we both said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and we both started to laugh. Um, and Toby, so he's a Young Life leader in Barber County, and Barber County, um, they have not been able to get Young Life restarted uh, since like COVID has shut down. It's been hard. They've been wrestling with a lot of like just not being able to meet kids. And so Toby and I started to have this great conversation about he's starting to coach football in order to meet kids. Um, Toby's trying to do what we've been talking about as a church, and that is seeing needs and going to people and moving towards them, right? So he's coaching football, and he's got a few guys that he thinks he can get to camp. And I'm like, Toby, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you. He's like, I just don't know if we're going to be able to pay for it. And I'm like, dude, I will write a blank check, and hopefully 
it caches. Like, just get those kids signed up. Um, and so the rest of like Wednesday night, my mindset changed. Like, I'm, I'm happy, I'm praying, I'm worshiping God because man, you're actually starting to do something that I can see, which is stupid, uh, because m- me worshiping God shouldn't be predicated on the fact that I can see what God is doing, right? I should worship God for what he's doing regardless, but that's just us. <laughs> we don't always worship God for who he is. We worship or wrestle with God for what we see. And so Thursday, once I get out, um, I have a call with um, one of the part-time staff people in Barber County. And she's like, actually, um, we might have 18 kids going. Like, all of a sudden, a few girls wanted to sign up, and then Toby's got like 10 guys, and we don't know what, what we're going to do. Like, we don't have a bus, we don't have money. Um, and so, it, like, it went from this bleak, dark situation, not only in my life, where I'm like, I don't want to be here. This is tough. This is frustrating. To all of a sudden... I'm like, oh my gosh, all these kids who have never heard the gospel before might have the chance at hearing the gospel. It was a mindset change. It was a, wow, God, you are doing something, even if I don't see it. The opportunity, I think, to see what Jesus is doing often requires us to change our vantage point, to change and to see and maybe step out of a door and just see, God, what are you doing? So I want to ask you a question. Does anyone know what, I'm going to walk over here. Does anyone know what this is called? A door frame? Yeah, that's, that's like the builder's uh, name. Do you, know, do you know what the space is called? Besides a door frame? Not just that space, but this space right here. A threshold? Yeah, a threshold or fancy term, a liminal space. A liminal space is a transition point in which you go from sanctuary to hallway. Sanctuary, hallway. A liminal space is a transition place. A place in which you go from one space to another. It's an entryway. I'm in one space, and if I take another step, I now go to a different place with a different name, a different vantage point. And in fancy terms, that's called a liminal space, a space in which we can go somewhere else, we can see a different perspective, we can be in a different place and experience something else. And right now, I want to read a story to you all from the Gospel of Matthew. And it's actually a story that Bryce covered when we were going through the book of Mark because this story is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, And it is in, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Matthew 9, for me, it is one of the most fundamental liminal spaces in Scripture. A transition point that Jesus chooses to enter in which two liminal spaces collide and Jesus is the fringe point. We're about to read a story of what I'll call liminality. I don't even know if that's a word, but I'll call it that. (laughs) Of tension, of change, of perspective. Why? Because Jesus. Because Jesus. And so this is in Matthew 9. And it says this, this is in Matthew 9, 18. It says this, while he was saying this, so Jesus is actually, um, he's talking to the Pharisees. 
Um, they're, they're getting into a fight about a questions about fasting. And it says this, while they're saying all of this, while they're in an argument, a ruler came and knelt before Jesus. And he said to him, my daughter just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. And so Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. I love that Jesus goes with his disciples because this guy in which um, we know, his name is Jairus, he is um, a synagogue leader. He is an important person. But do you notice what Jairus does when he meets Jesus? What position does he come to Jesus in? He kneels. I mean, Jairus, according to his culture, he's a guy that has a lot of social standing, literally and figuratively. Jairus doesn't kneel before a lot of people. And yet his daughter has just died. And instead of mourning for her in the proper way, which would be to be with his family and friends and crying and weeping, he hears about Jesus, a man who is changing everything. And so he goes and finds this, finds this man, Jesus, and he comes and he doesn't care that they're in this stupid theological argument. The only thing he knows is his daughter just died and this man, Jesus, might be able to do something about it. That's what he believes. That's what he knows. Jesus might be able to do something about it. And so he kneels before Jesus and he says, please come, please do something. Because I know that God is good, I just don't see it. And what does Jesus do? He, he says, yeah. And him and his disciples go to Jairus' house. And while they're on their way, it continues on. And it says this. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and he saw her. He saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. You see, Jesus, right, was on his way with someone very important. With his disciples, they're on a mission. But all of a sudden, this woman comes up, and the other gospels explain it in, in different ways because they're focusing on different attributes of who Jesus is. But this woman is thinking, I'm br I, 12 years. No one's been able to figure out my pain and brokenness. And if I just touch the edge of his cloak, Maybe, maybe it'll change something. Let me say that she knows that this is probably a bad idea. I'll, I'll share a story with you. Um, so this is back in like 2018 where things were normal a little bit. 
Um, I used to take some of my Young Life guys and we would buy like a case of LaCroix at Walmart and this would be like at 12 o'clock and we would go and sit like near the, the section in Walmart where they had furniture and we'd just sit down and we'd talk for like two hours and drink LaCroix and people would be like looking at us like what the heck are these kids doing? But it was this awesome place. It was a cool space that we just got to do whatever the heck we wanted and it's 12 o'clock at Walmart and no one's asking questions because people at Walmart at 12 o'clock Um, they're usually just odd people from what I've experienced and seen. And so they were actually upperclassmen, and so they had somewhat of a brain at this point in the stage of adolescence. Um, And so they graduated, and for some reason, I thought, hey, I've got a new group of freshmen. I'm going to introduce them to this really cool thing that I've been doing with a bunch of guys. And so I've got a bunch of freshmen. We go to Walmart at 12 o'clock at night. Um, Around that time, we grab a case of LaCroix. This was like in 2019. And they're idiots. I mean, they're climbing on top of shelves. They're like jumping on furniture. They're like climbing and grabbing food that I haven't played for yet. I'm like, guys, stop. Like, you're going to get us kicked out. Like, people are looking at us and doing double takes of like, okay, this is beyond normal for Walmart at like one o'clock in the morning. Um, And I, I didn't really realize, oh, this is a bad idea. Like, I probably should not have brought them. Because at this point in their adolescence, they don't have a brain. Uh, It's just the fact of freshmen. This, Christopher said, it's true. Uh, um, This woman who came to Jesus did not care. She did not care if this was a good idea or a bad idea. You see, in Jewish law, she was unclean. Therefore, she could not touch other people because they would also be unclean. We, We kind of know this living in if you want to call it a post-COVID world, we're used to, hey, if you've been in contact with somebody, you've got to put a mask on or be in your room or be someone else. You can't go around other people. Um, And there were requirements even that the government put over us, right? Like, we know that. It's the same with the Torah. There were requirements and restraints that were put over Jewish people. If you have a disease, you can't go near other people. If you had, as a woman, if you had internal bleeding, um, or even if you had your period, you could not be around other people. You literally had to go and be by yourself until you were considered clean again by a priest, and that would require proof, and then it would require a form of sacrifice to cleanse you. But this woman did not care. From the other gospel stories, we know that she waited through an entire crowd just to get to Jesus. I mean, probably pushing people aside, scrambling to get to Jesus because she believes if I just touch his cloak, maybe, maybe it'll do something. You see, every single person that she touched, unclean. This is a bad idea. I mean, she literally could have been murdered in in their world, not murdered, justly killed for making other people unclean. That means everyone in that... that space that she just touched would have also had to gone through a purification period. I mean, they would have had to probably kill like a pigeon, offer it as a sacrifice. I mean, if you're a pigeon seller, this is like best case scenario. You're going to (laughs) be, a ton of people are going to about to, they're about to come and buy a bunch of pigeons that would have to be killed and brought to the priest for a sanctification period. Like all of these people, technically, But here's the thing, she didn't care because she had faith that Jesus could do something. You see, 
if the Pharisees were still there, which we don't know if they were there, I mean, this is a perfect opportunity to pounce on Jesus. We know that they don't. I mean, could you just imagine, Jesus, if he was like us, like me, riddled with worry or maybe anxiety, or maybe thinking, what do other people think? If that was me and an unclean woman came and touched a bunch of people because of me, I know myself, I would probably be freaking out about those other people, riddled with worry, oh my gosh, what are they gonna say about me? What are they gonna do to me because of this woman? Yet Jesus doesn't care about that. Jesus doesn't care what those other people are gonna think because Jesus sees her for who she is. Do you notice what he calls her? What he says to her? He says, take heart, take heart, daughter. Daughter. You see, for 12 years, she would have been kicked out of her family. Isolated and alone. We don't know, we can maybe speculate if she had seen her family, been around her family. We don't know how old she is. But when's the last time she's been called daughter? When's the last time she's been seen as anything other than an unclean woman? And yet Jesus takes time to pause and notice her and to see past her brokenness, her sin, her imperfections, her identity that society cast on her, and he simply calls her daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the, it says, and the woman was healed from that moment. Instantly. That woman was healed. I love that because Jesus is in the middle of this entire mess, not caring what other people are thinking. He is solely focused on this woman. You see, he was just on mission. Him and his disciples picked up because this really important guy named Jairus, who's a synagogue leader, said, please come with me. My daughter's just died. And yet, Jesus takes a moment out of his day and out of his mission to notice somebody that no one else noticed. And I love that. Because if, if it was me and some really important person asked me to go do something, that would be priority number one on my list. Priority number one. Yet Jesus doesn't miss the opportunity to lay aside that priority to do something incredible for someone that needs, genuinely needs, not only healed, but a new identity of daughter. Your faith has made you well. In the middle of all the mess, Jesus is in total control. And I love that. And so, Jesus continues you see, in between verses 22 and 23, we don't get that much in Matthew. In, in other of the Gospels, we know that a crowd follows Jesus and they're worshiping and proclaiming 
what God has done, right? Like they are testifying, oh my gosh, God just did a miracle. This woman is now healed. We have a liminal space that's hinging around Jesus, a crowd that is worshiping God and, and praising God and laughter and joy. And they're on their way to Jairus' house in which they know is a crowd of weeping and mourning. And Jesus is the liminal space, a space of transition in which two opposite worlds are gonna collide. And in verse 23, we see something beautiful. But before I get to verse 23, it makes me pause and think. Like if, if Jesus is really living in me, like Paul says, it's, it's our hope and the glory. Like if Christ is in me, am I creating liminal spaces in this world, in my family, in my life for perspective changes, for brokenness to find beauty? Is that the framework in which I live in? That God can do something amazing through me. Why? Not because I'm great, <laughs> but because Christ is living in me. Paul says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, is liter it's living inside of us. In fact, we know that when Jesus performed this miracle, it was not Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. Every miracle that Jesus performed, it wasn't him just being like, I can do whatever I want. We know that Jesus was in submission to the Father and it was the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. That's a, therefore we have the same power. Yet do we believe it? Do we create space for that to happen? And so in verse 23 through 26, we, this continues. And it says this, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, those are people that they literally hired to help you mourn. He said, go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl's hand and she got up and news of this spread throughout the region. See, Jesus is about to walk into a space in which once again, he is gonna change everything from death to life because why? That's who Jesus is. That is who Jesus is. And it's funny, it says, Number one, they laugh at him. And I just think about my own life and how, I mean, just as a human being, it's horrible to be laughed at. Faith is, is difficult because it is something to laugh at. I mean, if faith is, is a ridiculous concept because it's predicated on, I don't see it, yet I believe that God is gonna do something. And if someone doesn't believe in my faith and what God can do, it is ridiculous. We don't see dead people just get up. And so people are laughing at Jesus. And it says, 
he put them outside. That's, that's such a, um, a toned down word from what that word is in Greek. It literally means to expel or to evict. Like literally Jesus kicked people out of this room. <laughs> like gave them the shoe, booted them out of this room. Why? Because they didn't have faith that God could do something incredible. And I love this. Once again, he takes this girl by the hand and he raises her from the dead. Besides this, there's two other instances in which Jesus raises from someone from the dead in the Gospels. And we know that the only other person in Scripture that raises people from the dead are Elijah and Elisha. This is a rare instance. I mean, even Jairus probably wasn't expecting his daughter to be raised from the dead. He probably wanted Jesus to come along to maybe encourage or to do something. But I don't even know if Jairus, the synagogue leader, had the framework to expect that God would do something incredible. And I often think of myself, man, do I have the framework to think that God is going to do something incredible? I don't know. I don't know if I expect God to show up in this incredible way when I'm talking to my neighbors, when I'm going after our three that we talk about. Who are your three? Like, maybe God will create a cool conversation, but do I expect God to do this? Usually not, because my faith is so little. (laughs) And so there's two things that I want us to, to kind of think about. Two things that I want us to take away. And the first is this. I love Jesus because he expects other people's brokenness. And I want us, as we think about doing ministry, as we think about going out from this building, you know, as we've been focusing on for so long, are we expecting other people's brokenness and are we waiting to embrace it? You see, Jesus agreed to help this man. He saw Jairus' brokenness and he moved towards it. Jesus moved towards it. Jesus wasn't afraid to move towards brokenness in whatever way it looked like. I mean, there's a lot of brokenness that we read in the Gospels in a lot of different ways. Lepers, women who had been prostitutes, women who'd been bleeding, synagogue leaders whose child has just died. Yet Jesus never backs down from an opportunity to move towards brokenness. And I love that. Because it's the calling of us. It's the calling of who we are. Are we prepared to move towards brokenness in a healthy and complete way? And the second in that is that Jesus paused and he noticed. He was in an argument with these religious leaders, the Pharisees, right before this. And instead of getting caught up and frustrated and, oh, they don't believe the same thing I believe, I mean, have you looked on social media in the past few days? It's hard. Regardless of your belief, is that what we're getting frustrated about? Because when I look at Jesus, regardless of the arguments that are happening around him, he always pauses and notices. He was on an important mission to go to Jairus' house, yet he pauses and notices this woman that no one wanted to pause and notice. 
Y'all, there's a lot of things that we can look at that can take precedence over our time, that can take precedence over what we think God has called us to. But I think one of the most significant things that we can learn from by reading the gospels over and over and over, one of the most significant things that I see in the person of Jesus is his ability to stop and to pause and to notice. You wanna start doing ministry, start pausing and noticing. Because God is gonna show up and do some incredible things. Jesus pauses and he notices this woman. And I think that's the foundational piece of ministry, pausing and noticing. And the second thing within this framework that I would love for us to take away is for us. I think we just talked about other people, right? Embracing their brokenness and pausing and noticing them. But for us, I love this. This woman's reasoning, I think it's, it's fascinating to me, but it leaves me with this really deep and personal question. She says, but if I just touch his cloak, do you ever think, but can I? Like I know if I just touch his cloak, I know that God loves me. I know that God has redeemed me. I know that God forgives me. But can I actually go and touch his cloak? Can I? Do I have the ability to move towards Jesus? But can I? I know it for other people. That's easy. Like God, God loves them for sure. But deep down, do I? Can I love myself? Absolutely. Jesus wants me to love my neighbors. He wants me to get in the middle of, of their brokenness, of their divorce, of the death of their daughter, whatever it may be. Yeah, Jesus wants to do that. But what about me? What about you? Do you believe that about yourself? I think we should be ashamed if we have it all together and, that's, and, and we pretend to this world like we have it all together. What I love about this, this woman is that she moves towards Jesus and knows that she's broken. She knows that she needs healing. She knows that she's gone, as the other gospels said, for 12 years to everything else. She's squandered all of her money and yet not found healing. She knows that she's broken. Do we? Do I? I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says this. He's saying this about himself and about us. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joys offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That's written about, that's us. What I would challenge you to do is, is know your story, share your story, share your brokenness, acknowledge your brokenness. Because until we do that, Jesus can't do much. Jesus would not have healed this woman if she would have sat on the side and not moved towards him. 
How are we moving towards Jesus in our own personal life and in our own real way, acknowledging that, man, I am making mud pies. And I do know that Jesus offers me an incredible holiday, as C.S. Lewis says, an incredible vacation. But do I acknowledge it and do I move towards it? And the last thing is this. Do the worries of this world, do the weight of our sin, whether it be work or raising kids, spending time or chasing goals, whatever it may be, self-worth, beauty, idols, chasing a dream, does that really satisfy you? Does it really satisfy you? If it does, you'll never ask the question, but can I? Can I touch Jesus' cloak? Only Jesus is enough. We know that for other people, that's easy. We've been taught that at Sunday school. But do we believe it about ourselves? Do I believe that about who I am? I know that God only, only God satisfies, but do I believe it? I implore you. And this is something that, man, as the past probably two years has been so difficult for Bree and I with everything that we've been wrestling through with um, children being in the hospital and, and me being in the hospital and medication and Bree going through the struggles that she's been going through with mental health, everything, I mean, everything for the past two years, it has seemed relentless. And I know a lot of you are there too. And the thing that I've tried to convince myself of and the thing that I keep reminding myself of is to not become disenchanted with the things that I'm supposed to be enchanted with. I think that's the hardest thing about faith is to not become disenchanted with the things that we are supposed to be enchanted by. Has your heart become disenchanted with who Jesus is? I would challenge you like Mark said last week, open your Bible and embrace it for the truth that it is. Just scour over the stories of Jesus and how he embraces people. It is enchanting to know that he would do that for us in an instant. It is enchanting to read the cross and to know that he did it on my behalf. It is enchanting to know that he has justified us and cast our sin away. It is enchanting to know that he is not finished with the work that he is doing in this world, that we are a part of his kingdom. It is enchanting to know that one day he will return and, and bring back heaven to earth and recreate us as the whole beings that we desire. It is enchanting, and it should be. But my challenge to you is to not become just disenchanted because it is easy to become disenchanted. And so I want to finish off some a few minutes over with the reading, the rereading, I should say, of Psalm 138, verse 7 through 8. And it says this, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your loyal love, Lord, it endures forever. 
Do not abandon the work of your hands. Y'all, if Jesus was willing to reach out and grab this little daughter's hands, should we, not, should we also, like that woman, be willing to reach out our hand to touch the cloak of Jesus? Jesus will not abandon us because we know that we are his handiwork and he's doing something incredible in our lives. Much like my time in that sleep study, are we willing to find a liminal space in which we can change our perspective to see Jesus for who he is and what he's doing? Embrace Jesus and be enchanted by him now and forever. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you um, just for this story. It's incredible to see how you paused and notice a woman that no one else wanted to pause and notice. God, I thank you that in the midst of the hardest things I'm going through, when I've become disenchanted to your love, when I've become disenchanted to your calling in my life, God, you pause and you notice me. That your love is loyal. God, I thank you for your goodness and that you'll never stop pursuing us. God, you are, you are good and you are wonderful and you are worth being enchanted by. Father, I pray that we would go out from here and we would love people well, that we would pause and notice like you do, that we would expect and embrace brokenness in real and tangible ways, just as you did, Father, because we know that you are living in us that you have the power to do incredible things in and through us when we give over our lives to you. Father, I pray that we would be a church that does that, that we would be a people that does that. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and kindness. And we pray this in your holy and incredible and righteous name, Jesus. Amen.